This episode is sponsored by BodyTrack. If you are in the golf industry and let's say you're trying to figure out reasons behind speed increases, more efficient ways to improve short game and looking to check out some application and example lessons of folks using data from the ground like center of pressure, vertical force, pressure traces, our friends over at BodyTrack have just re-released their amazing course and certification on the interaction between the golfer and the ground. I know that hundreds of you have already signed up and don't worry, you can go watch the new content and even an example lesson with yours truly uh, at no additional cost. Uh, I was there at the filming this past year in Birmingham, Alabama. It was fantastic. The course and certification is one of the best done out there. The quality is amazing. The best instructors, I mean, you got Sasho, you've got Mark Blackburn, you've got other great folks pouring into that. And the online portal is really nice, easy to go through, watch all this stuff and, and get learning. Check out the link golfsciencelab.com slash body track. That will redirect you to the page you need to go to. And we have a, an awesome GSL exclusive discount. A good chunk of, of money is being taken off of that course cost uh, when you go through that. And we just uh, thank you to Body Track for sponsoring Golf Science Lab. Having myself down to check that out last year is really, really fun. And uh, they've posted that example lesson with Mark and myself where we were looking at uh, fades and draws on center pressure data. So even if you're not interested in the course, go check that out at that link. And if you are, I hope you sign up. Let me know what you think. Thank you again. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. On today's podcast, we are diving into what makes players great again, how they develop skill, what mindsets and tactics are most essential for their success. On this episode, we are sitting down with Matt Parziali. Uh, you saw his name recently because he won the 2017 Mid-Am and then played in the Masters and actually made the cut in the US Open in 2018. He's had a great amateur career, but before that, he played in college and then he attempted to play as a pro for about three years on mini tours and was really out there trying to make it. So we're going to dive into his story in three acts today. Act one, we'll talk about his development. Act two, we'll talk about what happened when he went to go play pro. Why didn't he make it and what that move was like? And then act three, the changes that help him win the mid-am and what amateur golf is like at that level. The mental game fascinates me when we look at how do we perform at our best? What are the, the strategies and tactics that it really takes to unlock best performance? That's why I was really excited probably over a year ago that we partnered with Dr. Greg Carton to develop our Mindfulness for Golf online program. Dr. Greg Carton, if you don't know, he's a sport performance consultant. He works with a lot of players on the PGA Tour that you know and have heard of and is really out there doing this work on a, on a daily basis to help people perform at their best. So we took those conversations that he has with folks, we took those core concepts and, and create a course out of it. And on April 16th, we are kicking off our spring session. So to go along with our course, we do some live group coaching so that you can get your questions answered and we can guide you through that course a little bit better. It's an awesome opportunity to kick off your season, get some of that foundational training going. Head over to golfsciencelive.com slash mindfulness to get all the details for this course. And I hope to see you this spring in it. All right, act one, getting good. 
I don't know the exact age I was, but I think it was when I was three or four years old. Uh, my dad would just take me, my dad, my grandfather, and myself would go to the Brockton Fairgrounds, which is just a, a bunch of fields uh, here in the city we live in. And we'd just take a shag bag and hit balls. My dad was probably hitting a wedge and I was hitting everything in the bag. And we'd do that, I'd say, maybe 10 times a summer. He was a member at Brockton Country Club when I was young, so I remember going up there and hitting some putts, but didn't really play in a course until I was probably eight or nine. And when I started playing on the course, I quit baseball, just fell in love with trying to get better and, and, have, and I had so much fun with it, even though I wasn't very good in high school. So I was a member at the public course here in the city we live in. And then I went to Thorny Lee, the private course, when I got into high school, just before high school. So I just go there. We had a, we probably had six, seven, eight guys, uh, kids, and parents would drop us off in the morning, and we just go all day and get picked up at night. And that was kind of my summer for a few years. And then once I started working at Thorny Lee, and then became a member, and then that started there. And there's just a higher level there, and better golfers that were that played in national events, that won stadiums, and that won local tournaments. And to learn from them and watch them, that was also a big development for my game. Were you the best in that group? Were you the worst? Were you middle of the pack? Like, how did you compare in that group of group of friends? I say this as I was the younger brother. I was the youngest. So I wasn't the best, but I was the youngest. So I was playing with kids that were older, probably a little more developed. And so that's where I learned. And I think that that's why... I got as good as I did, even though I wasn't that good in, as a junior, but I just, I saw them and they went to college before me. And so usually the younger brother is always the best at the sport. So I kind of attribute, attribute to that. So we heard Matt talking about competition at the club that he grew up at being the youngest of the group, bunch of good players. He wasn't the best necessarily, but was always out there competing. And early on, he learned the benefits of being out on the course always playing, always getting out, always competing and constantly trying to improve. I realized, thankfully, at a young, younger age, I wouldn't say young age, that I had more, I got more out of playing a round of golf and putting it in the hole than just standing on the range hitting shots. Now, there's times where I need to go work on something or work on a shot or, so, or whatever. But for the most part, my whole life, it's, I've got more out of going to play and have a match and compete. And that's what I enjoy doing too. Gotcha. What kept you moving forward, you know, going every day, the practice and, and eventually the travel and et cetera. What was your motivation at, at that point? Honestly, this is the only thing that's ever made sense to me in my entire life since, since I've been born, I guess. I just love to try to get better and find new ways to, to do things and to compete. And, I, and there's nothing better than, than the last nine holes of a tournament when you have a chance and the feelings you get and the, when you pull off the shot you need, um, I just live for that. So, uh, it kind of keeps me going. Gotcha. See, it's the, you're just super competitive. Then. Absolutely. And is that in everything that you do then? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't get as disappointed if I lose in something else, um, because mm -hmm. I put so much into this, then that's more of a disappointment, but yeah, there's, uh, there's always competition in any, anything I do. This theme of putting a high value on competition is really common when you talk to top players. If you want to get better, 
Well, guess what? Go find a match, find a game, and compete and learn from every experience, whether you win or you lose. That's definitely a theme that you hear. I remember a past interview with Zach Suker. Uh, he just talked a ton about the importance of, of competition during his youth and still today as he's trying to get better as the primary way for growth and that foundational element of the chase for always improving. Matt continued that theme, there's no doubt, when he went off to college to play more golf. So it's a funny story. One semester, we played with four guys. We didn't have a fifth guy. And that was my sophomore year. I went to a small school in Florida. We were NAIA school. You know what? I was, again, I got there. I was a freshman. And there was three upperclassmen. And those three, like my coach, my coach was young. The five of us, we traveled one semester. We had no fifth guy. So every score counted. And I think that made us tough. I mean, that made us like, you know what? Like, there's not someone that if you're having a bad day after 10, 11, 12 holes, that your score is not going to count. That didn't matter. So that whole semester, I think we all improved. And that's what I'd say about my college team is that I'd put us up, not talent-wise, but the toughest that never gave up to pretty much any team I've ever seen. Obviously, there's great teams in D1, but these guys just never, never gave up. And to learn from them, again, being the youngest, that was probably huge in my development. There's a big advantage for Matt now being able to play year-round and getting so much competitive experience. He was able to gain a lot of skill and really develop because of so much playing time. He was just putting in a lot of tournament reps year after year. I was actually probably the best of my team since I, not my freshman semester, we had a we had a player that he played really well. I played number two, he played number one, and then he actually left. He turned pro. He was older, and then when he left, my freshman year, halfway through, I became number one player, and I was the number one player from then till I graduated. So even though I was the youngest, that early success, it kind of just kept me going. And yeah, there were times where I was playing poorly, but for the most part, I had a pretty steady college career and a lot of good finishes and, and some wins to go along with that. How did you decide to turn pro at the end of college then? So I came home and I played a summer of amateur golf, and I played really well from the end of June through the beginning of August. I pretty much won everything. Um, I went to the North and South. I think I made it to the quarterfinals. Played, that was like one of my first national events, other than playing the Northeast Dam, which is here at home, and, and the USAM, of course. So I was just playing really, really good golf, and I knew it's something I wanted to do, and I had the opportunity to do it. And I had uh, a member from my club that was going to help sponsor me, and sure enough, just after I missed the... USAM qualifier. I think I missed by one. I, I had a bad break down the stretch. I was playing well in that too. I packed up my car, signed up for an e-golf event and drove to, to Charlotte and played and made the cut in my first event. So I had a good start and you know, I, I probably made half the cuts as a, as a mini tour guy. And I played so many Mondays, missed so many by a shot, went to Q school three times and never really had success there. So, you know, I had a blast, but that was the decision was just to go and to give it all I had until I didn't want to do it anymore. And didn't want to do it means play for a living. I've always wanted to compete, always wanted to play at the highest level, but just didn't want to, I wanted to be able to make a living and then still compete in other, in other areas like amateur golf or mid-am golf. Act two of the story is professional golf. Unfortunately, it isn't a successful story. He didn't make it on tour. But he played for three years out there and gave it everything that he had. In the summer, we 
I played the Hooters event, uh, Hooters tour, I'm sorry. And that was, that started in March or so. There was a winter series that we used to, to live in Orlando and play the Hooters winter series. And then when the main tour would go, we'd kind of travel all over the East Coast, even into Texas, Kentucky, pretty much everywhere. Didn't really make it to the Northeast. But yeah, we'd, um, we'd try to schedule the Mondays so you could go, you'd, you'd play an event. You'd go to the Monday. You'd drive to the Monday Sunday night if you made the cut. If you missed the cut, you'd drive Saturday, be able to play a practice round. And if you made the Monday, you'd stay. I didn't make any Mondays, but you'd stay play the Nationwide. Or if you missed, you'd drive to the next Hooters event. So it was driving a lot, driving through the night a lot. And even so, we'd mix in some e golf events or Adams Tour events if the Mondays were close to that. So you didn't really stick to a certain tour. I kind of try to follow the Monday qualifiers, and because that's where you're going to get the chance to change your life and get out there and. If you make the cut, top 25, you can play the next week and do it again. And all of a sudden, you can have some status out there. And unfortunately, that's why I say about opportunities that I just didn't create enough opportunities for myself when I was playing. Would you recommend that kind of schedule and that kind of routine to someone? I would. Even though it didn't work for me, I think you can get lost in the mini tours and you can get beat up and you get frustrated with the game. If you're not playing to get to the next level, I mean, unless you're making really good money and you enjoy that lifestyle, great. But if you trying to get to the next level you have to give yourself the chance to get there what other advice do you have for folks going through a process like you went through yeah so i've actually had this conversation with a bunch of friends younger friends who are turning pro now or who've turned pro in the last four or five years and what i say to them is this when you turn pro it's all about the opportunity when you get the opportunity you have to make the most of it and i look at it as maybe i didn't get the opportunity that i needed I didn't get through that Monday. I didn't get through Q school. I didn't get to third stage. I didn't get the chance to have any starts. But you have to create your own opportunity at the same time. So I don't think, if you turn pro, obviously your work ethic is probably going to be pretty good. It's not working harder. It's just playing the game and competing, trying to do the best you can. But what I tell everyone at the end, and this is why, this is back to what I just said, is that I, I tell them it, when you're done, just be done. You don't want to miss your life playing mini tour golf or chasing it. There's so much this game has to offer outside of professional golf that you can go win the Mid-Am and play in the Masters and play in the U.S. Open and compete a bunch nationally, locally, and have fun with this and still have a life of have a career, have a family, whatever you want. So that's what I usually end on with the advice. I don't know if that's good advice, but I feel like it helped me make my decision. I could only imagine going through that decision of choosing to stop, choosing to go back to amateur golf, getting a career and and really changing your lifestyle in every way. It might've been just over three years because the next spring I was home. I came, I think I played a little bit in the winter, went to Q school, kind of came home, started working like landscaping, plowing, whatever I could do. But I still, I was still a professional golfer. I hadn't given it up. I went and played the U.S. Open qualifier, hadn't played since Q school, really. And I was an alternate. So I think I shot two under or whatever, and I was playing Thorny Lee, my home course, and I get the call on the fifth hole that I got into Memphis, which is a, the tour spot. So and this was on a Saturday. So Saturday night I fly to, I fly, or maybe Sunday morning. Sunday morning I fly to Memphis, play a practice round, and I'm paired with uh, Justin Leonard on uh, the Monday qualifier. And I probably beat one or two people in the field. And he played so steady and got a bad break, hit a car path, went out of bounds, and probably missed by a couple. 
and obviously I'm not trying to compare myself to Justin Leonard, but at the time I was like, you know, I'm so far away right now. I just haven't worked at it. I want to enjoy this game. I want to find a real career. My dad was a firefighter. We, my dad was caddying for me. He came with me. We talked a lot about how to get on the fire department that, and it just was kind of like a, that day was just like, you know what? All right, we're going to get on it. So I applied the next day when I got home, got my amateur for waited a year to get my amateur status back. In the same year, I took the fire firefighter's exam and was able to get on the fire department about a year and a half after that too. So that day was a big day of just, it kind of just said, all right, we're moving on and going to do something else. It was bittersweet. It was tough, but I was also excited for the next chapter and excited to get back to playing amateur golf. I just, I never lost the drive to compete. It just, I needed to compete at the, the level that was going to fit my lifestyle and what I wanted to do in life. Making the shift to amateur golf for Matt has been fantastic. In act three of our story, he won the Massachusetts State Amateur, the Francis we met, and the Mid-Am in just a short stretch of time in 2017. And as you probably know, winning the Mid-Am gets you an invite for the Masters and US Open, and you probably remember the stories of the firefighter playing in the Masters in 2018. That was Matt. The year I came back, I was playing so poorly because I had to wait. I played that whole summer and then played poor golf, but I was also doing other stuff. So when I got my amateur status back, I was like, you know, I don't care if I ever win again. I just want to compete and have fun with the guys. And sure enough, like you get back, the juices get going again, you get in contention. And I was able to, the first event that I won as a, as an amateur again in 2013 was the, we met. And then I was able to win that again in 2017. So in 2017, I won the state amp for the first time, which that was a tournament that was giving me the most trouble. Cause I'd won it. I'd won pretty much everything else in the state, anything else in new England locally, and it was just the one that was match play. I'd get to the semis and lose. I'd get to the finals and lose. I'd lose in the quarters or I'd play good and someone played better. And it was just really frustrating me. So I was able to win that. And that was a match play event. And then move on to the Wii Met. was able to win there. But the match play at the Mass Am was probably the biggest stepping stone to the U.S. Mid-Am because I had success early in the a month and a half prior in a match play event. So not saying if you go win your stadium, you're going to win the U.S. Mid-Am. But I think that I had some good stuff going into that week. Was that the best kind of stretch of golf that you had played there? Where you, and then I've just, I'm looking at your, your, uh, your calendar here and then the mid-am, the Massachusetts mid-am you played well as you had finished second there as well. That's right. Yes. I mean, was this the best stretch of golf kind of in your career that you had, you'd gone through or I'd say so. Um, I mean, yeah, I won, I won the, U, I won a USJ event, so it'd be stupid for me to say I didn't, but there were times there were like the, the week in between the Mass-Am and the Wii Mat, I missed the cut at the New England Am. So we just have three really tough weeks in a row that it's so hard to play well all three weeks in a row. And then, yeah, I, I got back into, I played the Crump Cup for the first time just before the Mass Mid-Am, and that's when I came in second. I made an eight on the first hole of the last day. I made a quadruple, and then I fought back and had a six, seven-footer to get into a playoff, and I missed it. So I took that away as a, as a positive. That wasn't a disappointing day. You make an eight, you could kind of just fade off. And I was proud of the way I fought back. And then to go to the mid-am, I'd say, I think it was two or three weeks later, uh, I was playing well. And anything can happen in match play. I've said it so many times that I've played well and lost, and I've played poorly and won. So a lot of things have to go right that week. It's a long week. Your, your body's exhausted at the end. But the thing I'm most proud of is that 
once match play started, I showed up to the course each morning. It was a fresh start. I wasn't worried about what happened the day before or what's going to happen the next day. And I think that approach to that week was the reason I had some success. I love the realities of, of missing the cut between wins and understanding the variability that happens. And, you know, you can hear a, a lot of acceptance in Matt's mindset. It, you know, potentially he's recognizing that the results and the outcome are out of our control in a sense, and that we can simply stay focused on what we can do in our process right here and right now. I was only playing up here in New England, so course was a little shorter. Didn't really need it and wasn't hitting it that well. I was actually hitting it pretty poorly. And so when I started working with Sean more often, he goes, he goes, dude, we got to get the driver back in the bag. And to the, and since, since I got it back in early 17, I think the first event I played, I actually went back to Memphis for sectionals as an alternate again, which is crazy. Hmm. The first event I played it actually might've been the second, but the first event where I could hit it a bunch was Memphis 36 holes. And I actually had a chance. I was playing pretty good. And I think if I had a good nine holes, I could have been right there. So got the driver back in the bag and it's the second best club in the bag now. So um, it's been awesome. And it's, it's been a huge part of the success going to national events where course is a little longer and that extra 20, 30 yards you're going to get, it's huge. It's a crazy turnaround from out of the bag for four years to second best club. The driver was a big thing that helped propel Matt to success again. And, and the story is really funny of how he came to hitting it again. And it starts with kind of a random encounter with his instructor, Sean Hester. I introduced Sean to one of my good friends. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to go watch the lesson. And sure enough, my buddy leaves and Sean and I are just sitting there talking. I hadn't hit a ball and hadn't even decided I wanted to start working with him again. Work with him more consistently in the winter. I work with him in the summer, but to go see him in February when we still had snow on the ground and couldn't play for two months didn't really make sense before this. And sure enough, he, he said, want to hit some? I said, yeah, sure, why not? And I hadn't hit a shot in four months. And so he gave me a seven iron. This is all his clubs. Start hitting a few seven irons and, and we just start talking. And he goes, you want to hit some drivers? I'm like, I haven't had a driver in four years. I got, uh, and so I hit some drivers. And then this is right around Valentine's Day. I'm with my fiance at Valentine's Day. And this is when I told her. And at the time, she was still in school. Um, I was just on the fire department. Money was tight. And I said, listen, I'm going to start working with them. It's going to be a little expensive, but this is what I want to do. And she was all for it. So sure enough, Sean knew the plan. He always knows the plan. He always knows how to get me better and what to say, what not to say. And um, I give a lot of that success, the credit to him. And so the first few lessons are just a lot of drivers. And that's usually not, that's not where we are now. It's the drivers, like I said, probably the second best club in the bag. We don't even get to there. And now it's more, we're back on trying to hit closer approach shots with wedges and that sort of thing. So I think it, golf goes in waves. You kind of have to ride the wave. And when something slips, you got to bring it back and so on and so forth. But at the time in the winter, it was drivers. But I remember before the mid-am, the week before I went to them, I just won the Wii Met. I chipped it poorly. We had a good chipping lesson. And then that wasn't the week before. That was the week after the we met. And then the week before the mid-am, about a month later, I went back. I was like, I got to get better before this week. And he's thinking, like, he, he's, he's even said this in interviews. He goes, how am I going to get him better? He just had one of the best summers ever. But I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. Like, I needed, I needed something. So we worked on some control with some mid-irons. It was perfect for going to Capital City. It was a long course. 
I drove it so well that week, but I had a lot of six, seven irons in, and I remember just stuffing a few of them that were just some of the best shots under the circumstances that I could have hit. And it was just the right, we put the right work in at the right time that year. Absolutely. Did the way that you approached golf change knowing that you had the specific goal and you were taking a risk and investing and, you know, spending more time with Sean? Like, did any of your approach change? I don't think my approach changed. My approach has always been to compete, to win, and just about the process and to do to do the things that are right, what I think are right, and if it works out, great, and to give myself the chance. I hate goals. I'm not a big goal guy because obviously your goal is to do the best you can and to win if you have the chance or wherever you are in you are in relation to what you're playing in. So the process never changed. I think what we did, what we worked on, the time we put in was just the right mixture. And it has been even through last year too. If you're curious how a top amateur with a, a job, family, friends, and all that manages life, here's how Matt prioritizes his practice and what he actually does when he gets out there. So I'd say in the winter, I probably practice more than I do in the summer, just hitting balls wise. I mean, there's times I hit balls in the summer, but I think the more I play competitive golf, the more success I have. And just that's being in the situations, that's hitting the shot under pressure, that's hitting the shot into the wind where you don't really, if you see it on the range, you think you hit it good, but you might've missed the green, right? So I think just all those circumstances that you get from competing, that's how I get the most success out of my game is putting myself in that situation as much as I possibly can. And I had to withdraw from the Jones cup and that's in two weeks. I was disappointed to do that, but like work, work got in the way, but that's fine. That's part of, uh, that's part of, that's part of what mid-am golf is or amateur golf is. You told the story of in Memphis, you played with Justin Leonard. You felt like, you know, I, I'm not where I need to be. And then last year at the Open, you play really well. You finish, uh, let's see, what, what place did you finish in? 48th. Yeah. yeah, like fantastic. So you obviously like you, you competed, right? You played better than a lot of guys. How does that make you feel? Those two stories and, and those two things that have happened to you? Yeah, I've never thought about that. You know, that was seven years ago when I played that Memphis. A lot of things have changed. The one thing that hasn't is that I've just wanted to compete at the highest level. And to look back, yeah, that's crazy to think about because I never thought about that. But that's I was at a completely different point in my life. And I think that, like I said about the waves of your game, I think life goes that way too. Is that you kind of you kind of do what I try to do the best at where I'm at and where I was at. I was at the U.S. Open. I had a chance to to compete, and luckily enough, I was able to have the right game plan. I drove it so well that week. I think the first day I was tied for number one in driving. Um, mm. I hit 13 fairways the first day and I hit 10 fairways the last three days. So, um, I kept it out of the long stuff for the most part and that stuff was absolutely brutal. And that was my game plan. Do that and putt it well. Um, and we'd have a chance and I think I only made three doubles. So, but I was just at a different point and I was like, I just improved over the last seven years. Uh, there's been pits and there's been peaks, but Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This has been fun to hear Matt's story. 
thank you so much to Matt for coming and hanging out. If you want to say thank you to him, follow him along. He's on Twitter at M-A-T-T underscore P-A-R-Z-I-A-L-E. Super fun to sit down with him and hear his story in this series of, of how players get good, how they develop skill. It was cool. Thanks, man. If you're enjoying this, make sure to stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. Make sure to follow along. A a review is awesome. If you feel like helping more people find this podcast and hear kind of what we're trying to document about getting better at golf, leave a review. That would be amazing. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter if you want, at Cordy Walker, and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. 